We are trying to better understand in these weeks, as, as we have looked in the book of Hebrews, uh, to understand what we are as the people of God. And our source in these weeks has been exactly that, God's word in the book of Hebrews. This week, as we continue on, I would like us uh, to think along the lines and try to understand what it means by sacrificing by the example of Christ. And one of the words that I just use when I say sacrifice, that might be not something that we really want to hear that we that would pertain to us. Because as soon as that is said, our thoughts might be, it's unpleasant, it denies us something that we want, it sounds like work, and it maybe is going to make us make choices. But that's what we're called to do as Christians. And what we have to understand is, the example that we're using for that is Jesus Christ himself. Isaiah 53 is a section of scripture that is known as Jesus the Suffering Servant. And it's one of those scriptures that for myself I go to every so often as a renewing. It it has so many practical applications. One of them is that it is Old Testament scripture that foretells events so in detail that we cannot question who it is about. It is about Jesus himself coming into this world, the life that he would lead, being subjected to the suffering that no other man would see, and that through all of what was to happen and ordained by God, that we would be made right with God. Jesus, the suffering servant. And there in the midst of that is one statement that humbles me every time that I read it when it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. In Hebrews chapter 10, it speaks of Christ's sacrifices which sanctifies his chosen people. We as Christians are his chosen people. If we are Christians, we are compelled to a new life, one of sacrifice, one of love, and one of obedience, and right conduct toward his community of people. And all of this should be done so that all the world sees our conduct, who we are as Christians. God's word tells us specifically some of the things that we should see and do in our lives. Recorded in Romans, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Ephesians. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Philippians, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Our specific study this morning is going to be in Hebrews chapter 13, the first 16 verses. I encourage you to follow along as we go through this 
part of Scripture. I think that we should know and realize that the author of Hebrews is given pastoral instruction and we should understand and look at it as such. Christians are expected in the words that we are going to read to be loving, pure, content, loyal, bold, and worshipful. We read now God's word. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained, uh, entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who have been mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in high honor among all, and let the marriage, be, marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who speak to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which shall not benefit those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a fat sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the repro- reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruits of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good, to share with what you have. So much sacrifices are pleasing to God. And first, thinking through what we have just read and, and heard, it seems like some random thoughts that are bring, being brought together and is there really a continuity to what we have just read. And hopefully, as we look at them, we will see how closely they really speak about the life and the conduct and the sacrifice that the Christian life entails. The first thing that we see We are to be loving. Jesus ordered his disciples to love. We see in John, the night that he was betrayed, he told his disciples specifically, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He commanded them. He told them that this should be their conduct. And the example he gave 
is truly how he has treated them. That's a little broad, and I think that our scripture uh, in Hebrews gives us more clarity and definement to that. So as we look at it, we want to understand exactly what this love should look like. And our author says, let brotherly love continue. Jesus is not ashamed to address believers as brothers. Neither is the author of Hebrews. And in the midst of what we would think of ourselves as brothers, we have to understand that now puts us in a family. And the start of that family, the head of that family, is the Father. This is the Heavenly Father Himself, that we are called to be part of that family. And because of that, we understand that as brothers, we are same, we are equals, we are all part of this one family. There is nothing greater or lesser among us. But one of the things that we also have to understand is because we are brothers, there should be no division, rivalry, or feuds among us. Now, as soon as I've said that, if you are part of an earthly family where you have siblings, brothers and sisters, you're saying, how can there be no rivalry, feuds, or division? It's part of who we are. It's what happens among our siblings. In God's family, we are instructed to put self aside. The only way that we're going to have that oneness in family as brothers and sisters is if we sacrifice what we have and the, and the thoughts and the ambitions of individuality are left behind and we see the greaterness, the true duty for us to act as brothers and family members to give honor and glory to our Father. This must continue not only through this lifetime, but it will continue into all of eternity. Brotherly love, and also we should see, love is shown by generous hospitality. Love is now put into words. But words is not enough. There has to be action. And if we think through the scripture and what it is saying at this time, this is one of those scriptures that probably is kind of time sensitive. Traveling at that time didn't mean packing up the minivan, putting everything that you need, and going away. And on the way, you know that there's always going to be that light left on for you. It means that there are going to be places that had to be a place to, for travelers to stop and stay. Well, what about the inns at that time? The inns at that time were probably immoral, unclean, and probably very expensive. So what the author is saying to us is we must show hospitality to those that we do not know, that there are those that would come to us and need to see that we are willing to sacrifice and take them in. The author is telling us of hospitality that is reflected by Christ's love. 
Through the years, Denise and I have opened our home to pastors and missionaries that have stayed with us. And I have to say very honestly, in those early times that that happened, that wasn't a comfortable thing for me. But I remember one individual that came to stay with us, a pastor that was also a missionary. I can't remember his last name. His first name was Ray. The last day that he was going to be with us, him and I were talking in the morning, and he was thanking me for our hospitality. He was thanking me for us opening up our home to him and how much he enjoyed it. And he said something to me as because he had been so blessed, uh, it also blessed me when he shared with me and said, you know, you, you have done so much for me while I was here. But the one thing that I noticed and really appreciated is I have not been in a room in your house where I haven't been called to remember that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, being hospitable is not just about sheets, clean sheets, good food, and what we can do for them. It is the burden of our heart that we truly want to share the love of Christ with others. And what has to happen for that in order to happen through us is, again, we have to put self aside. There's no doubt that in our own humanness, we will neglect those that are in need. Hospitality appears in our church also. We must understand that among us, when those that would come in our midst that we do not know, that we've never seen before, that might be new to us, that they may look different from us, are to be made to feel welcome and that they are in the midst of God's own people. I remember a number of years ago, there was a time when this would have been when we were known as Bangor Baptist Church. A gentleman showed up with his young son for Sunday school that morning. And the first thing that made it out of place is because this man was black. And he had the confidence and the boldness. And when he introduced himself and started in our Sunday school class, you could see that he was very familiar with the environment of coming and worshiping God. And his Bible was well used. That was obvious. And he shared with us, and he fit right into our Sunday school. He stayed, and he worshipped with us afterwards. And I remember talking to him afterwards and and saying, it was so nice to have you uh, in our midst. Um, Please come back and, and, and see us again. And he said, well, that probably won't happen because I never go to the same church twice. I want to see what God's people are doing. And he left. I have to say that that's the only time that this part of Scripture came to my mind when I thought, did we just entertain an angel? 
Is this guy just trying to see who we are in Christ to see what our, our hospitality is like? But even more than that, we have to realize that God says what's more important than angels or more important than doing something for somebody else is his word that says we do it unto him. My friends, if that person that's sitting next to you has their name written in the book of life, they are saints. They are a part of that following, that part of God's kingdom that the angels say, why would, that, why would God be so involved and care for them so much that he would leave his heavenly home to go redeem those people? Those saints, that's who we are. So when we want to think about hospitality, we should be thinking about those that are sitting next to us. The loving principle of sympathy for the trials experienced by others. We see in God's word that the author really talks about two groups here, prisoners and the mistreated. Now, I think that the prisoners at that time, uh, in the context probably that we would think about, we want to make them out to be prisoners that were probably held against their will because of persecution for the faith, for professing to be followers of Jesus Christ. But God's word doesn't tell us that, that that necessarily is what we're talking about. I'm not saying that we shouldn't reach out uh, to prisoners. I think prison ministry is very important. And I think that it also talks about those that are mistreated. But I think the author was trying to take two groups that were so low in stature at that time that we would understand how deep our compassionate love should be. Jesus ministered to the guilty and condemned simply because they were human beings. And we should do the same. Do not forget others because we are too wrapped up in our own lives. My friends, I believe that unfortunately that's one of the reasons that we can't look at the needy, those that truly are the downcast, those that are of lesser stature and status than us, because we can't get past ourselves. That should not be, because again, we hear the words of Jesus himself echo when he says, as you have done these, this unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. So we've looked at love, but we also have to understand and look at the purity of marriage. Let me read it again. Verse 4, let marriage be held in high, on, high on, in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. I believe that when this was written and the context that we have to understand was so close to the environment that we see today that if we really knew what it was like at that time, 
we wouldn't be alarmed at what we see today. Sexual immorality and marriage itself was so under attack at that time that the author was compelled to single them out and say, this must not be. We see today the world's standards trying to reshape, to redefine what marriage is. My friend, marriage was God's first covenant instruction to mankind. He ordained it. He said how it was to be. And we are but to follow his command. Paul continually warns against sexual immorality. And our testimony is at stake when we would do other than what God's word says. See, we want to look at what this says and say that uh, the marriage bed and the vows only pertain to married people. And as long as those in a married covenant are being faithful and, and doing the things that, that should happen inside the marriage covenant, that's okay. But I think that this says so much more than that. I think it's speaking also to other people that are not married. And what it's saying to them is, if you are not part of the marriage covenant, you should not also be part of the rights and privileges that only come in marriage. And how does that pertain then to singles? Act according to God's word. Let your life be pure also. For those that are young, I think it says to those of us that are raising and have an influence on young people in today's society, we must be instructing them how to conduct themselves as Christians in a world that says you don't have to be like that anymore. The only one that you have to account to and answer to is yourself and nothing can be farther from the truth. I wish I had one of those nice statistics to pull up. And I remember Pastor Joe said in one of his messages one time, 60% of all statistics are made up, right? <laughs> I think the largest group that we really have to address today about purity and how they live might be the elderly, might be senior citizens. Because we hear from them and they say, well, we live together because it's more convenient. We don't get married because our income is going to go down. Somebody's going to lose their pension or our social security will be decreased. But there's a reason why we don't get married. My friend, the rule is the same. We are to lead sexually pure lives no matter what our age or marital status is. And I also believe that as Christians, it is where our largest witness is to the world is in our couples, whether they be married couples or whether they be single couples. The world is waiting for us 
to fail and fall into sin. We must be strong and we must continue to do what is right according to God's word. God's faithful uh, presence as our sustainer and helper. This is point number three. God's faithful presence as our sustainer and helper. These next two points are uh, kind of alike in that they seem to be a group of verses that come together and the continuity doesn't exactly seem to fit. But when we really look at them, we see that they really are blended very well together. Only as the only as the influence of God himself speaking through men could really have come about. And what we see in the first part of our passage, I'd like to direct us to the second half of verse 5. It's one of those passages that probably most of us can re, uh, recite. We know by memory. And we say, what is it really doing in the midst of this text? And it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It says in the midst of everything that there is, God will never abandon us. He is always there. Whether we know it, whether we see his influence on the situation, but he never departs from his children. But in thinking about that, then we go up to the first part of that same verse, and it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. In our society, in our life, what gives us security is fill in the blank. Our bank accounts, our money, our job, our position, our status of whatever that might be. It might be our spouse, our family. All of those things that we say we don't have to worry about what is going on because we have this that will take care of us. Mostly, it's financially related. That's being countered by the truth of God's word and it says, don't do that. Remember that God is always our strength and our witness and the one that will be there in the midst of everything. I remember my brother... And I, when I speak of him and I talk to him about, to our kids, I always say, I'm going to recite from the book of Tom. He'd say, what is really a problem in your life is when something that you throw money at doesn't go away. My friend, there are so many things in this life that we can throw money at that don't go away that we must go back and rely on God being faithful always with us. And that gives us a contentment. I would humbly like to say to you today that I am a man that is content. It doesn't mean that I've achieved everything in life 
It doesn't mean that I don't still have struggles. It doesn't mean that our children aren't in the midst of situations and we're praying for our grandkids and that I've accumulated everything that I think that is needed in this life. It means none of that. It means that I would think of what the psalmist would say and and has put into words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the second half of what we're looking at when we're asking and realizing that he will never leave us or forsake us, it says, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me. I believe that most individuals would have to say their fear of man is one of their largest things in their lifetime. It is something that they choose to maybe not face or they do it in ways that um, really brings them away from the will of God. But this says... There is nothing that any man can do to us, including taking our life, that will remove us from the grace and the mercy of God. Number four, God does not change throughout eternity. This should motivate our loyalty to him to God himself. And here again, like we have just looked at in the passage preceding us, verse 8 seems to connect 7 and 9, two random thoughts together. Verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that Jesus is eternally the same so that we may confidently embrace the pattern of the Christian life taught by the Bible because Jesus' teachings is relevant to us. Since Jesus is the same, his ministry and his call are the same today as they ever were and that Christianity is ever the same, unchanging in all generations. Which is why, if Christianity, if who God is, has never changed, who, Christ, who we are called to be, whether the gospel message has never changed, we can then see what God is trying to tell us when he says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Remember those individuals in our own lives that thought it was so important that we know and understand who God was, that they would preach the word to us. Whether they be parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, pastors, Sunday school teachers, whoever that was that was put in our lives that has allowed us to understand and exposed us to the truth of who God is, it says that we are not only to remember them, but it also says they are our example in life. Continue on faithfully in the Christian life. And hopefully, we understand even in the midst 
of those that have gone on before us that they were faithful up until life ended. As much as we're to embrace what they have done in our lives, we must shun those that would lead us away. Because in verse 9 it says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. We must know the truth of God's word. We must stand strong on it. And we must not allow those that would pervert it and change it, add to it, take away from it, to influence the true gospel of who Christ is. What we see in the text and the example given here, it was probably something that Judaizers were trying to bring in about food, to lead people away. Whatever that might be, that cannot happen. My friend, uh, it's a supermarket today of God's word. You go in and you pick out what you want. But that's not what God's word says. We must stand fast to the truth of what God's word proclaims. Number five. We are to be bold and worshipful. The Hebrew author is telling his audience they must go outside the secure confines of Judaism. And we see that in verse 13. Let me read that to you again. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. My friends, what this is saying is that those at this time were going against the status quo of the Jewish religion by being Christians. And what the author was doing is, he said, you have to step out of where it's comfortable, what is acceptable by the rest of the world, and you have to go out of that to meet God. We have to do the same, my friends. We have to be bold enough to understand that we are not going to win the favor of the world today by being Christians. And please don't make the mistake. It doesn't say we're going outside the camp for him. We're going outside the camp to be with him. Old Testament, it tells us about Moses right after the Israelites had made the calf he pitched a tent outside of the community of the Israelites. And what he did at that time was he would go out to that tent and he would wait for God to come and visit him and to give the words of instruction that he could then pass on to the Israel himself, themselves. My friend, that's what we're trying to understand, that we are to meet God himself. So how does that encourage uh, us and give us boldness? Well, first of all, we don't trust in the world. We trust in Christ himself. 
And it also lets us realize and understand that Christ was very specific. He gave us this group, this body of believers, whether it's locally or going out from there, to encourage and strengthen us as Christians. And what does that look like then in this group? Well, do you remember what happened when uh, Peter and John went out to proclaim the gospel message? And they were hauled in before the, uh, the, the authorities. And what the authorities said is, we don't like you speaking of this Jesus. So we're going to threaten you for a while. And when they got done with that, they said, now don't speak of Jesus anymore. And they said, well, we're going to. So they threatened them some more. And then they left. And the part of scripture that really should grab our attention is when they went back to the body of believers and they said what was going on and what had happened to them, the others actually rejoiced. And among that group, it it only increased to know the faithfulness of who God was, that it built them up, that it brought them together to the point that the scripture says the actual place that they were in the midst of midst of shook that is the confidence that we should have see everything that we've talked about so far has been to give honor and worship to God whether it's love and purity those are acts of worship commitment contentment loyalty boldness Those are acts of worship. But our scripture ends by specifically telling us of sacrificial giving to the Lord. And they are sacrifice of thankful praise. The sacrifice of thankful praise. Everything that we have, every good gift is from God. And when we realize that, the next thing that should happen past that words that come out of our mouth, the thoughts of our heart should be praise. We should be willing to thank him and give him praise for all that he does day in, day out, time in, time out, from from the smallest of things to the largest of things. We should also understand the sacrifice of unashamed witness. Let our lips reflect the condition of our heart. May we be quick and bold to proclaim the gospel message. May we be willing to tell others, those that do not know who Jesus Christ is, what he has done in our personal lives. We have the sacrifice of compassionate service. My friends, that is only limited by our own imagination and will to be will to be willing to be used to do good work toward others, never never realizing or thinking that it is to earn favor with God or it brings salvation to us. No, my friends, it is the byproduct. It is our loving overflow of what God has done for us. And the sacrifice of generous giving. 
I'm sure that in the text, there is real need among Christians at that time because they were so persecuted and really shunned by others that they needed to have that uh, support coming from fellow Christians. But today, it also speaks of our generosity to Christians and to unbelievers. We must be willing to share the blessings and those things that God has given to us. And how should they be done? Regularly, proportionally, and given cheerfully. Remember how gracious and loving God has been to us. My concluding words for this message are going to be words of prayer. And what I want to pray for us is a prayer of thanksgiving to Jesus Christ for his atoning work, his example, his mercy, a prayer of forgiveness, and a prayer of dedication. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for being the one true God who, have, who has revealed truly who you are through your incarnate Son who led a perfect life, a sinless life. And because of that life was the one that took the atoning work and paid the penalty and the sacrifice for our redemption, Lord. We thank you for that. We pray that we truly always realize the gravity of our situation before you intervened in the midst of our sinfulness. We pray also, Lord, that we see again each and every day the example of your Son, how he was so willing to be among those that were of little stature in this world, that your word continually speaks of how you would use those to do your will, to promote your kingdom work, and they were of what the world would turn their back on. I pray again, Lord, that we are truly humbled by it and are willing to do the same and to continue to understand that we show that because of our love for you. And Lord, let us be amazed by your mercy and your grace each and every day that we understand uh, that we do not receive what we should from you. That anything that we do for your kingdom work, Lord, is truly because you first loved us and we thank you. And Lord, we pray that in the midst of truly seeing what we are like, that you forgive us because so easily and so quickly we want to stay with that heart that puts us as as first, that we are not compassionate toward others, that we do not surrender to the will that you would have for our lives and remove those things from our heart that should not be there. I pray, Lord, that you truly allow us to turn away 
from our lack of loving others, that we are not pure, that we are not contented, we are not sometimes loyal to you and to you only, and our boldness seems to fade away. And unfortunately, our worship falls much short of what it should truly be. But Lord, I also pray that each one of us, again anew, is willing to dedicate everything that you are in our lives, every part of us, to you and to you only, that we continue to understand, Lord, uh, that it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit uh, that we can remove sin from our hearts and lives and replace it more with the grace that you have given us and that truly that grace is what flows from us. Continue to use us, to equip us, to allow us truly to be a covenant community of those that sacrifice by the example of your Son. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.